You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well and looking forward to the message today. Excited about a lot of things going on. Excited that uh, today Millen's starting their Sunday morning services. As you heard earlier, it's going to be awesome. Um, and so thinking about them as they are kicking it off, uh, Jeremy, I'm sure, is preaching and tearing it up right now um, as he does. And so it's going to be awesome to hear and, and uh, just see what they do today, how God moves. Um, excited about the message that we'll talk about in just a minute. Also excited about next Sunday, obviously because it's Easter, uh, but also because we're doing baptisms. And so um, if you have not been baptized as a believer in Jesus, then my encouragement, my nudge to you um, is to encourage you to take your next step and be baptized. It's your public profession of faith. It's a public demonstration of what Jesus has done in you. Um, and it's publicly saying that this is my, um, this is who I follow, that I follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So I'm encouraging you to do that, to take that next step and be baptized as a believer in Jesus. Um, today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue in this series called Everything Changed. We'll be in Acts chapter 10 today. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, if you want to stop by our Next Steps table, we'd love to give you a Bible and uh, let you have that free of charge and just to give you the Word of God and let you begin to read it and dive into it. So we'd be honored to do that for you. This chapter is all, um, chapter 10 is all one account. It's the account of a man by the name of Peter, the Apostle Peter, um, who goes to a man by the name of Cornelius. And it's a long section of scripture, so I'm going to read some of it. We're going to talk about some of it, and then um, I'll kind of fill you in on how this all happened. And as we do that, we'll talk through the message and what um, I feel like this text is saying to us. But let's read a few verses here. Um, in Acts chapter 10, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into the message. It says in verse 1, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So basically a centurion was a, a man who was over 100 soldiers. He had 100 soldiers that reported to him. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor, to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now listen to this verse. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
And this is going to be a huge part of this whole passage because God is preparing Peter's heart to go to what was known as the Gentiles. Gentiles are people who are non-Jews. Jews being um, the chosen people of God that we read about in the Old Testament. Jesus comes, dies on the cross, um, and opens up um, the kingdom of heaven to, to all people, including us who would be known as the Gentiles. And so this is an important thing that he's telling Peter, do not consider anything um, impure that God has made clean because the Jewish people saw the Gentiles as impure. They saw them as unclean. And so he's telling them basically, you know, I'm, I'm knocking down this barrier between you and the Gentiles. I'm knocking down this barrier that separated you from them for so long and this stereotypical way of thinking. It says in verse 16, this happened three times. So evidently Peter was a little stubborn, right? So it happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, so Peter's somewhat perplexed by this. He's trying to figure this out because this is so strange to him. This is such a radical thing to him that God's telling him to do. But while he was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, was, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, so he's still trying to figure this out, the Spirit said to him, the Spirit says to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is righteous and a God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told, uh, told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you had to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. And so we see God working in Peter's heart, opening his heart up to these Gentiles so that eventually we're going to see um, in the next few verses that he goes to the centurion's house. He goes, goes to Cornelius' house. He goes in, he preaches the gospel to them. Um, he finds out what they were, what Cornelius' vision was. He goes in, preaches the gospel to them. And as he's preaching to them, they come to faith. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin to speak in tongues and, and, and praise God. And Peter begins to see, he begins to realize that they have the same experience with God that he had on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. You can read about that in Acts chapter two. And so what basically ends up happening is Peter recognizes that the Spirit of God has come upon them the same way it came upon the Jews, and that he recognizes that now that they have received the Holy Spirit the same way that we have, that they, can be, they should be accepted into the people of God in the same way, on level footing. And so it's a huge um, deal. This is a big deal, especially to us um, who are mostly Gentiles in here. Um, and so this opens up the kingdom of God and really puts us all on level footing. And so I want to pray for us, and then we're going to go through, we'll pick out some other pieces of this text to talk about, but I want to pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you so much for your, your life. Thank you so much that you give us life. God, I pray that you would move in this place. I pray that our, our hearts would be um, just warmed by your presence. I pray that our minds would be alert to hear your word. And I pray, God, that you would move in an amazing way. I pray, God, that you would speak your message to us. We recognize, just as Cornelius and, um, and these, uh, these people who are seeking you, God, as they realize that you are in our presence right now, that you are here, God, and we are attentive to your word. So speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
How many of you would say that once you make up your mind to do something, you're pretty much going to do that? Would you, anybody else in here that's kind of that way, you might have been described as stubborn, maybe a little bit, or uh, a little bit thick-headed sometimes, maybe a term that's used to describe you, um, because you just make up your mind to do something, and then you go and you're going to do it um, no matter what, it's got to be done, right? And I'm kind of that way myself, not kind of, I'm a lot that way myself. And uh, so once I make up my mind on something, I'm pretty well set. Um, I kind of quit gathering any more information. I'm like, let's do this. And so when I was uh, a fairly young fellow, um, probably about 27, um, my wife and I had been married for a few years. We'd moved into a home and we had a small bathroom. We had just had our first child and he was about six months old. And I decided one day we need to add on to this bathroom and make it bigger so that we'll have more room. And so I went out to the, the shed. I went out there, got a sledgehammer. Susan was not at home. And I started knocking the brick off the back of our house. Susan then comes home while I'm out there beating on the back of the house, knocking the brick off the back of the house and gave me that look that you husbands know very well, like you're an idiot, right? And so I'm knocking the brick off the back of the house and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Knocking the brick off the back of the house. What's it look like I'm doing? And so I'm, I'm doing this, and, and the whole time I'm thinking we're adding on to the bathroom. And, and the thing I realized, and, and, and I thought, thought it through sort of, um, is that if we're going to have enough room, if we're going to have enough space, um, this, is, this wall's got to come down. We've got to enlarge this place, right? And, and we've got to get this wall out of the way. The first thing that I saw as an obstacle to this um, project happening, to something happening, was that this wall has to come down. And as I thought about that again this week, I was thinking about it, and the reason I'm telling you this is because I see that that's what I feel like Jesus does in this text, is that Jesus is tearing down walls. See, when Jesus, and we celebrate this today on Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, um, as we go into Holy Week, he rides into Jerusalem, and the reason he rode into Jerusalem is so that he could tear down walls. Jesus is a barrier breaker. I want you to hear that today, that Jesus knocks down walls that separate us from him, separate us from God, and that also separate us from each other, as we see in this text. And we're going to talk about that a lot as we go forward. But Jesus is a barrier breaker. He is one who tears down walls that separate. He's one that unifies. He's one that, that brings his people together. He's one that makes us one with the Father. He's the one that makes us one with himself and with the Spirit. And he's one that makes us one with each other, the church. And so he works to tear down walls and to build us together as one people in one, one, one heartbeat, unified around one gospel and bound together by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about this. I want you to see this today. I want you to, to see that when the gospel is preached, walls fall down. When this good news is preached, walls begin to fall down. And if you look at verses 34 through 43, this is what it says. As Peter comes into Cornelius' house, basically, um, he goes in and he begins to preach the gospel to them. And this is what he says. If you ever want a short synopsis of the gospel, here it is, 34 through 43. It says, then Peter began to speak. So he's talking to Cornelius and all the people that Cornelius had gathered to hear Peter. He says, I now realize how true it is that God sh does not show favoritism. But accepts every, from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, 
beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, meaning John the Baptist, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, literally by hanging him on a tree. It's going to be important in just a minute. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so Peter comes in and preaches the good news to these people. He preaches the gospel. And when the gospel is preached, the walls begin to fall down. When the gospel is preached, the kingdom begins to grow. And this is what we see because as Peter's preaching this message, the Holy Spirit comes and falls on them as they come to faith in Jesus. And so this is a huge deal for us to see. And when the gospel is preached, walls fall down. And one specific wall that falls when the gospel is preached is sin, the wall of sin. Because as we come to faith in Christ, what happens is the wall that separates us from God is torn down. There's in Matthew chapter 27, if you have a Bible, you can turn there real quick or I can read it to you. You can hear it in verses 45 through 51. We see something that's really important take place. This is when Jesus is being crucified and he's on the cross. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, something like that. And which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing here heard, his, heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. And see, this is a huge thing for us to see. That when Jesus gave up his life, when he died on the cross, it says that literally the curtain in the temple was torn. That curtain represented our separation from God. It represented the fact that we're separated from him. And what has separated us from him is our sin, our rebellion against him. But the Bible says that when Jesus breathed his last, the temple was torn. And see, that's the good news for us because what happens when the temple's torn is it means that we can now come boldly into God's presence, that we can now come into his presence. It's why what was said in verse 15 is so huge. Do not call anything impure that has been made clean because we have been made clean by Jesus and our faith in him. And then we're able to come into the presence of God. That temp, the, the veil of the temple was torn. We've been given access to come into his presence. Listen, the good news is there's not a zipper on the curtain, right? Where God zips it back up. If we make a mistake or, or we, we screw it up and, and mess up, God still says you can still repent of that sin and you can come back into my presence. The curtain has been torn forever. And through Jesus, we have access to God, the father um, once and for all that wall of sin has been torn down. It says in here, that, uh, that they were witnesses of everything. This is verse 39 that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. The, the literal translation of that is hanging him on a tree. And that's a big difference in the translation because in Jewish um, 
teaching and in the Old Testament, basically what we see is that it was seen as a curse for anyone to be hung on a tree, to be killed by being hung on a tree. Jewish people saw the cross as a tree. They didn't see it just as wood, but as a tree. And so for them to say this and for the Bible to teach us this and show us this, what he's basically saying is that Jesus was cursed by being hung on a tree. He was cursed by being put on the cross. And this is the good news and this is big news for us because what really happened is Jesus became cursed so that we wouldn't have to be cursed any longer. Jesus was cursed by our sin. He took the judgment of God upon himself so that we would not have to be cursed by it anymore. So that we would be able to be made right with God. So he became the curse for us. And in that, he broke down that wall of sin and separation that kept us from God. He broke down that barrier, that curtain was torn that separated us from him. And that's good news. That's, that's, that is the gospel. That's, that's what God wants us to grab hold of. And more importantly, that's what God wants to grab hold of us. He wants us to get that in our heart, to see it. He wants for that to be something that excites us, for something that we see as a big deal, is that our sin has been atoned for, it's been forgiven, it's been made right, it's been perfected in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. He's taken that sin from us, giving us perfection. And it's a big deal for us to see that and to understand that, to grab that. Another wall that was torn down in verse 40, it says, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Another wall that's been torn down is death. And the good news is for us that we have life now through the power of the Holy Spirit. The good news is for us that as we go through this life, as we face circumstances and things that come our way, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to carry us through. It's not that we just have overcome death and, and mortality and the fact that one day we all will die, and, and, but we live with Christ. That's great and that's awesome, but it means that from the moment we come to faith, the Spirit of God comes to live in us, just as we see at the end of this chapter where he comes to live in Cornelius. We come to faith, the Spirit comes to live in us. Eternal life starts at the moment that we come to faith in Jesus. The life and the power of God begins to work in us as we come to faith in Christ. It's not something that we just come to faith and then we think, okay, when I die, it'll be great. It'll be something that, that, you know, I get to spend eternity with Jesus. That's it and that's true and that's very good. But the other side of that is that it starts now, that we can have life now. And my feeling is that there are many people in here who need the life of Christ working in us. I want to tell you that there's more to the Holy Spirit than what most of us are experiencing there's more life to Jesus in what we're experiencing. And some of us are facing situations and circumstances and trials and, and things that have come our way that we need a power greater than us to sustain us. I don't know about you, but I, I face things like that every day. I faced it this morning. I've been still battling with these, some health stuff that's been going on. And, and I came in this morning and, and and every day I wake up and I, I can't hardly go. I just can't. I don't know what's wrong. I, I can't figure. Nobody seems to know. And yet here's the thing I did know. I knew that when I stood up here in front of you, there would be enough strength to do what God had given me to do today. To preach the word of God to you. And he always gives us the strength we need to take the next step. And I can tell you that for me, there's many days that I depend on him for the next step that depend on a strength greater than myself, that when I feel like I can't take another step, I know that I can take another step because the power of God and the power of Jesus lives in me. 
And there's a power greater than me that can carry me through this life. That whatever tomorrow brings, that whatever I face, God's gonna be able to sustain and to bring me through that moment, that time, that season of life. And that is what God has done. So he has overcome death, absolutely, but not just in eternity. We need to, or after we die in this life, but now God has given us life. God has given us the power of his Holy Spirit to live in us, to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves, to do through us what we cannot do on our own. Another wall that was torn down in this is this wall of, of culture, the differences that we have in, in our culture today, the differences that we saw even in this time, Jews and Gentiles didn't like each other. Jews called Gentiles dogs and things like that. They, they didn't get along, they didn't like each other. The Jews looked down at the Gentiles because they were unclean. But we see that God comes in and he tears down that wall with Jesus and he makes one body out of these two groups of people. And so we see this wall of culture being torn down as we look at this text. Peter goes and even somewhat against his own thought process and his own will as we see where he's wondering and pondering and thinking about the vision that he had. You know there's still part of him that thinks this is not a good thing to do. But we see that he goes and he goes into Cornelius' house. And when he goes into Cornelius' house, this is what he says in verse 27. It says, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? And so he says, look, I realize I'm doing something that goes against my Jewish heritage and the teaching of the Jews. I realize I'm doing something that for me is very radical, but that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and the Holy Spirit begins to move you and you begin to follow what Jesus tells you to do is you begin to do things that many people may think are somewhat radical. But he calls him to go and to do this. And as he does this, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and the other Gentiles. And this wall that's been separating the Jews, this wall that's been separating the Jews and the Gentile falls down. And so we see in, these, in the first one of sin that the wall that separates us from God falls. But not only that, when we look at culture, we see that the wall that separates us from each other falls. See, in God's world, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, there is no such thing as Jew and Gentile. There's no such thing as white and black. There's no such thing as, as, as rich and poor. There's no such thing as those who uh, are, are different and, can't, and their differences can't be resolved because the reality of it is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all on the same footing. We've all been made one by Christ. The good news is that for the person who's lived their life like hell, God's grace is big enough for them to come into the kingdom, to swallow up their sin, to take their sin off of them and to lift their sin. The grace is big enough for that, to make them one with those who maybe you've lived a pretty good life. Maybe you've never done some of the things that other folks have done that you think of as being bad. But the reality of it is that for those who have not been so bad as we think of bad being, they still would have busted the gates of hell wide open. 
And so what we see is God takes us all from all backgrounds and all walks of life and all paths and all of these different things and he brings us together and makes us one together with each other. And so he tears down this cultural wall. He tears down these stereotypes. He tears down all of these things. And he says, in Christ, we're one body. And so that wall begins to fall. And we see that Peter goes in and speaks to them. And not only that, but at the very end of this, it tells us that Peter stayed with them for a while. If you go on and you read chapter 11, you can do that on your own. Peter actually gets in trouble with some of the other Jews for this. But he goes and explains what happens to them, and it's a doorway that opens up for the Gentiles to come in and be a part of the kingdom. Another wall that falls down, and we see in this text, is pride. Is pride, and there's two ways that pride has to die in the life of a Christian. One of the ways that pride has to die is that we have to come to a place of admitting we need a savior. We have to come to a place of admitting that we need a savior. That's not easy for most of us to do because the reality is most of us like to try to self-preserve. We try to preserve our own life. We try to look after ourselves and we've gotten pretty good at looking after me or looking after I, right? And so what we have to see is we have to come to a place where we recognize this fact that someone has to stand between me and God so that God's wrath doesn't come on me. And that's what Jesus did. He stood between us and God, taking God's wrath so that we could be forgiven. That's what Jesus has done for us. But we have to humble ourselves to a point of saying, I need that. We have to humble ourselves to a point of saying, I need a savior. I need someone to save me. For many of us, that's not an easy thing to do. To say, I need someone's help. I need someone to save me. But this is what I can tell you. There's not a person in here today that, that, that doesn't need someone to save them. The bad news is we all need a savior. The good news is God gave us one so that we can, we can have life, so their sin can be forgiven, so that that wall between us and God, the curtains has been torn and we can come into his presence. And so we have to see that that pride has to die. The other way that pride has to die is that we have to be willing to humble ourselves and carry that message to the world. I think it's awesome and it's cool to see how Peter is the one who's called to go to Cornelius. Cornelius didn't go to Peter. Peter was called by God to go to Cornelius and then preach the gospel. I think that's awesome to see because God takes the believer and he sends him to the unbeliever. And I think that's bigger than just a part of this, this account. I, I think it's bigger because that's the model of what it should be for us. See, too many times we as the church sit in a building and expect the unsaved to come to us. When in reality, what the Bible teaches over and over and over again is that we're the ones who are to go to them. We're the one to carry this message outside the walls of the church through our way we live and through the things we say and the message we preach and the message we proclaim that we're the ones who are to carry this out. And so we have to humble ourselves enough to say, I need a savior. I need someone to change my heart. I need a new heart. I need God to do some serious work on me. We have to humble ourselves to say that. And then we have to come to a place where we're willing to carry that message out and humble ourselves before others and say, here's the good news of God. And here's the love of God. And this is what you need to see. And this is what I want you to understand. And we carry that out to the world. 
And see, when these barriers are broken, what begins to happen is life begins to change. When the barrier of sin and death and culture and pride, when all of those things are broken, when God tears down those barriers in our life, things begin to change. One of the things that begins to change is our relationship with God, how we relate to God, because now we have access to him through Christ. We can be in a relationship with him, so that begins to change. Another thing that begins to change is our direction in life. We go from being people who are running from God to being people who are running to God. We go from being people who are constantly running away from him to people who are running to him. And the thing that I want to encourage you with is that many of you have been running from God. Stop and go the other way. Have a change of direction. Run to him. And some of you feel like your sin's too great. You could never do that. That's what God does as he takes our sin. For you to say your sin is too great for you to come to God and for him to clean you up and to make you something different, the reality of it is you're saying that your sin is greater than God's grace and that is not true, that is a lie. So that we can come to him, we can change our direction and run to him. Another one of these things that begins to change is our priorities. We begin to see things differently. Things that weren't important become important and things that were important become less important and our priorities get in line. It is amazing to me how when you simply pursue Christ um, and you pursue him with everything that you have, your priorities begin to change and they begin to line up the way that they're supposed to line up. Simply by following and pursuing Jesus. The last one is that it changes who you serve. It changes who you serve. Who you serve begins to change. You see that with Cornelius. He, 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 he changes from, yes, he was a God-fearer, but now he has a relationship with Jesus that changes everything about him. You see that he's a man who brings his whole family to Christ. And so our priorities begin to change. The good news is that God still does this. God still does this work. And I told you we're going to have a testimony in each of these messages. And so right now I want you to watch a testimony about a man who this is exactly what Jesus did in his life. Changed his priorities, changed his direction, changed his relationship with God, and changed the person that he would serve for the rest of his life. So check out this video. I was selfish, then everything changed. All I cared about was being successful. All my friends that I grew up with were getting out of college and getting high paying jobs and I was late on that because I was caught up in the party scene, didn't really care about school. So uh, then I just worked hard to try to better myself and I ended up buying the business that I worked at and bought another business and I just stayed caught up in working and seeing what more I could get, nice cars, nice house. I was caught up in material things, thinking that was gonna better my family and make us happier but actually it was probably making it worse. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I just, I got baptized. It was probably for, because I felt like it was the right thing to do. I didn't do it because I was getting saved or anything. I just did it for, to look like I was trying to be the right person. And it didn't change anything. I mean, I lived my life the same before I got baptized as I did after. It didn't change a bit. One day, my wife and oldest son were going to church and uh, he probably wasn't but four years old and he come up to me and he said, he said, Daddy, are you going to church? And I told him I wasn't and he said, he said, Daddy, you need to go to church to learn about Jesus. 
then I just realized that I was setting a totally wrong example that my four-year-old knew I was doing wrong. And I was leading him in the wrong direction and my wife, my whole, I was leading my whole family in the wrong direction. We went to a revival, Jeremy Lindsay was preaching and uh, he was just talking about his struggles and talking about how being a Christian is more than just going to church and sitting on a pew. It was having a relationship with Christ and wanting to serve God instead of just being all about yourself, which the way I had. And ever since I heard that, my life just totally changed and hadn't been the same since. So I got saved and everything was changing and I thought I was good, but then at night I would stay up, couldn't sleep. It was like, God's like, you gotta do more. More than I mean, that ain't it. You just gotta keep going. And uh, I fought it because I'd run from God so much that, and every time I think I was done, and he just, it's like, kept on, like, you, you, you gotta do more. There's something more for you. And then uh, when Jeremy and Dallas called about a church and starting a church, and I felt like that was, that's what God changed me, and that's, that's what he had me for to help with that. Now me and my wife read, read the Bible with our sons and pray with them, and we just spend so much more time together now. And it's all about family and God. We, uh, we became connect group leaders and help lead a group, and it's something I thought I never could do because I'm a real nervous, not an outgoing person. But now I love it, and I can't wait until the nights that we do it. And uh, it's just crazy how God's just stayed on me and changed, I mean, just steadily changed, changes me every day. I love to hear testimonies of men stepping up and becoming the spiritual leader of their homes. I love to hear how God changes people's hearts and they step up and begin to do different things like that. Um, you could see in that testimony that everything had changed for him. His priorities had changed, his direction of life, who he was serving, everything had changed. And that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to change us to be more like Christ. God always changes us for the better. He always changes us to be more like him, more like what he intended us to be. That's what God does in and through us. The last thing I want you to see out of this section is that there are two men who, one, they're pursuing God, but two, they became obedient to God with Cornelius and with Peter. They both had revelations from God in the visions that they had, but they also became obedient to what God told them to do. My challenge to you today is to become obedient to what God's leading you to. At the end of this section, it says that they became obedient to baptism. So they took their next step. After faith, they came, they were, after they came to faith, they were baptized. And for many of us in here today, our next step should probably be baptism. For some, it's to take the first step and surrender your life to Christ, coming to faith in Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. For others, it's baptism. And my question to you on that is, have you been baptized as a believer in Jesus? Have you been baptized as a follower of Christ? If not, then according to scripture, your next step, the next thing to do is to be baptized. Not because the water has special magical powers, that's not it, the water doesn't save you. But what does happen is you publicly profess what God's done in, inwardly with you. 
And so I'm, I'm challenging you, I'm encouraging you, I'm nudging you. I feel like one of my jobs as the pastor of this church is to continue to nudge you to take your next step of faith. And for some, that next step is baptism and becoming obedient to that, um, to that aspect of our faith. Publicly professing that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. And so when we do this, it's a big deal. It was a big enough deal that Peter says, look, they've received the Holy Spirit as we have. They become one with us. Now they need to be baptized with water, signifying new life, signifying the fact that they have now been raised from death to life and signifying the fact that they've become part of the church. And so two questions I wanna ask you today as we leave. The first one is this, have you come to saving faith in Christ? Have you given your life to him as the Lord and savior of your life? Have you said yes to him as the savior of your life? Not have you been around church, not have you been to Bible study, not have you read the Bible from front to back, not any of that, but has Jesus truly become the Lord of your life? Would your life indicate that? Has there been a moment in time where everything began to change for you, not that you became perfect, but that everything began to change for you because you had a relationship with Jesus? If you don't have that, then I wanna ask you today, is God calling you to that now? If he is, the best thing you can do is say yes and respond in faith and say, Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. So if that's you today, I wanna to ask you this and we wanna celebrate with you coming to faith. And we're gonna do that simply by asking you to raise your hand. So if today's the day of faith for you, the day of salvation for you, and you would say yes to Jesus today, I want you to stick your hand up high in the air so that we can celebrate with you. You're coming to faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. That's you today, raise your hand, raise it high so we can celebrate with you. It's a bold step, but it's a step you can take. Amen. 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 That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Who else? The Lord's speaking to your heart, man. Your heart's beating 100 miles an hour right now. You know that God's calling you today to take that step of faith. Here's the second one I want to ask you today. You haven't been baptized as a believer in Jesus. And today I, I'm asking you this. Have you said yes? Have you been baptized? Have you taken that next step of faith? If you have not been baptized as a believer of Jesus, that is your next step. And guess what we're doing next Sunday? We're baptizing. So if you haven't said yes to Jesus and been baptized as a believer in him, then what I wanna ask you is what are you waiting for? If that's your next step, then I'm encouraging you to take it. Next Sunday, guess where you need to be? You need to be up here getting baptized. And here's the question I wanna ask. If you know today that your next step of faith is baptism. We're gonna celebrate this like crazy next week, but I want us today to take that step of faith and say, I know next Sunday where I need to be. 
And I'm gonna ask you, if your next step is to be baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ because you've surrendered your heart and life to him, then I'm gonna ask you to do something very bold. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and let us celebrate as a pre-celebration party to what's gonna take place next week. So if you're here today and your next step is baptism, then I'm gonna ask you right now, right where you are, stand to your feet and let's celebrate that today. You guys can have a seat and, and, and thank you for taking that step. Thank you for being bold and, and declaring that. It's going to be an awesome Sunday next Sunday. It's going to be an awesome day seeing folks baptized. Listen, we've got 22 people signed up to be baptized in Millen. We've got 20 something people signed up to be baptized in Vidalia. And we're going to baptize people here. It is going to be an incredible Easter as we celebrate the fact that we have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life in Christ. Amen. It's going to be a great day. And what an awesome day today that we see someone go from death to life by putting their faith in it. It is so cool because I could see so clearly this battle going on, right? And then finally to see hands go up and Really, in an act of surrender to Jesus is an incredible thing. And so I want to pray for each one of us. I want to pray that we would be an obedient people, that take the next steps of faith that God calls us to take. Lord, we thank you so much for what you do in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for your love for us. Jesus, we give you all the praise and glory for who you are and what you do. Jesus, we just pray that we would be an obedient people. Let your Holy Spirit fall upon us and as he did uh, with Cornelius and let us become obedient to the things that you called us to do and to be. God, I pray for people here today that you would be their strength, their shield. God, that you would be their all in all, that you would be the center of their life. Thank you for giving us life through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.